Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. Wake up! With your chance to sound off, give your opinion, and tell us your thoughts. It's on. It's now. It's here. It's the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890. 92.5. KDXU, Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. Hey, welcome back. I'm Andy Griffin. Thanks for tuning in today. We have. I'm telling you, I love giving stuff away. We've given away a couple of qualifiers for our cash cruise thing. We've given away some tickets to go see Sting in Vegas. In, <clears throat> excuse me, in Las Vegas. Uh, we are going to give away, maybe even during the show, a couple of tickets for the pre- the premiere of Top Gun Maverick on Saturday. We we rented out a whole theater, and we're going to invite a couple of hundred of our closest friends to come and watch a movie with us. I ha- I hear rumors there's going to be an actual Top Gun graduate at the premiere so you might want to be there it's gonna be cool uh i'm andy griffin again it's the andy griffin show zach renstrom is with me today from the washington county water conservancy district the manager general manager director there i call him the water czar and i think he doesn't (laughs) like it but i do it anyway so it's good to be here today (laughs) thanks for coming in zach uh, Zach and I, uh, if you think, uh, th- there was the old joke, uh, the old cartoon Mutt and Jeff. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'm not. I, I don't, I, I didn't watch it either, but all growing up, anytime I was next to a person who was significantly smaller than me, they would say, oh, you look like Mutt and Jeff. And <laughs> if I were to stand next to you, we would look like Mutt and Jeff because I'm six foot five and weigh th- over 300 pounds and you're not. I'm you, not. You're yeah, not. that's right. <laughs> So anyway, but it's so good to have you in, uh, uh, Zach, today to talk about water. I actually had a, a person call, uh, uh, no, they emailed me off the air, and, and they, they said, hey, uh, I think it might be time to have Zach on every week. And I'm like, well, well let's hold on a second here. That's a little excessive. But it's definitely, uh, with every passing day of no rain, it has us all thinking, oh, boy, how bad is it going to be? And I guess that's how we start the show, Zach. How bad is it going to be? So locally here, we're we're actually doing pretty well. So mm-hmm. our snowfall this year, we had really good monsoonal rains towards the end of summer last year that really saturated our soils. And then our snowfall was fairly, it wasn't average, but it was enough. And so mm-hmm. we were able to store, you know, a decent amount into our reservoirs for this coming year. Um, so we're okay. We're, we're, we are below average. Um a lot of our farmers are taking cuts to the amount of water. So like on the Santa Clara River system, um, those farmers are only going to get about 35 to 40% of their usual allocation of water. Oh, wow. okay. so, there, so there is water shortage. And, of course, we're always asking people to be wise with the water, um, think long-term with water. And so, but, but this year is a lot better than last year, I can tell you that. You, you talked about last year. Boy, if we have two or three years in a row like this, then we're in big trouble. You said it was a little better this year, but it's still pretty severe drought. If we do this again next year and the next year, are we in, in, is, is the situation critical, you know, red yet? Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of have two things going on. So we, we still have a, like 5% growth, which is, you know, we're, we're, keep, we're keeping up with that. Yeah. But then you're right. As, as years compound, it's really tough. So like this year, we did not fill any of our reservoirs to 100%. Not even once. Not, huh? not a single one. Hmm. Um, so, but we still got Sand Hollow to 90% and Quell Reservoir to about uh, 60%. And so, so, we got, so we got some water there. But if yeah. we, we, I would love to have them at 100 
come about the you know the end of May, I would love them to be all at a hundred percent, but we didn't get there. And so if we continue to do that year after year after year, or we have a couple of really bad years like last year where we had no runoff, then that problem starts to compound, and that's where it gets really scary. Now it's. It's the 25th. We have six more days to get those <laughs> reservoirs there. I'm just saying. You don't want yeah. to call it yet, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I think I, I think, I think you're pretty safe. Yeah, I think it's pretty safe, especially okay. if you look at the five-day forecast. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 99 tomorrow is what they're saying. Yep. And it's going to be a warm next few days. Yep. Um, all right, a couple of things I wanted to get updates from you on. Uh, the... The water New Harmony thing and, and, and the, the aquifer down there, what, what's going on with that? Because I know there are a couple of New Harmony folks that are like, you can't steal our water. What's going on there? So we absolutely will not steal anybody's water. I know that. But okay. They, but they don't think that. <laughs> well, so what's, what's going on there is, uh, so you have the Hurricane Fault, which is the largest kind of fault zone in the area. One of mm-hmm. them, I should say. There's a couple. And it goes all the way from a little bit south of Cedar City all the way down to the Grand Canyon. And it's a really deep fault. And so there were some studies that were done. uh, The district paid for some studies to be done by, like, the Utah Geological Society and some other geologists. And they came in and they said the the shallow aquifer there, and when I say shallow, that's all as deep as 1,000 feet to maybe 1,500 feet. So as, shallow is a relative term. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that, that aquifer is 100%, you know already called for like it's already over allocated in fact there's too many straws in that aquifer but if you get down to 2,000 feet and deeper even sometimes 3,000 feet that aquifer is not connected to the shallower aquifer okay and so it's confined aquifer is what they refer to it saying and so the, the studies come out and says we think that there's a confined aquifer that's that's deep that there's the possibility of excess water down there and so to get the process going to tap into that, we filed, we filed a, an application with the state engineer notifying, basically telling the whole world that the district is looking at developing the possibility of that extra water. So the district has a responsibility and, and the burden, which I agree with all this in the process, is that we are going to have to go and show that we will not be affecting anybody's water right, that we will not be taking anybody's water. Not only will we not take it, we can't even affect it. And so we're, mm. that's going through the state engineer's office. There, you know, There's going to be a very um, a process that the state engineer comes in and looks at it with their geologist. Um, and, and a lot of people are looking at it, too. Like even uh, we had a meeting last week with the Grand Canyon National Park because they say, well, that fault goes all the way to the Grand Canyon. How is it going to affect the Grand Canyon? And so there's a lot sure. of people looking at that, and, and we, the district, has that burden to show that we won't. Where I, now this is me speculating what will happen is we'll go and drill some test wells that are really deep and we'll test that water, both the chemical and some things to age the water, to test the age of the water, and also probably do some pump tests to show or that the deep aquifer is not connected to the shallow aquifer. And so it's expensive. Um, it's extremely expensive. Um, but it's one of those things that we're looking everywhere, any possibility to find water, we are looking at it and this is just one of the processes of it when you say it's deep how deep are we talking like uh, 2,000 feet or more 2,000 plus so so most like right now in talking uh and it's still preliminary i think we'll drill a well down to about 3,000 feet and then start doing the testing at that depth folks a mile is 5,280 feet so if you say 3,000 we're talking more than half a mile straight down 
Yeah, and there's a, there's a terrific amount of cost to that. I mean, just to drill the hole costs a lot of money. Yeah. But then when you have to physically lift water from that far down and push it up, there's a huge cost there. And so that's part of the whole analysis is, okay, if there is water there, um, how much will it cost to produce that water? To bring it up to the surface, culinary-grade water, like what are we talking there cost-wise? And, you know, if it comes back astronomically high, then then it, we, you, you don't develop it because yeah. you can't afford it. And so... But but we wanted to be very public about it, and the best way to do that was to go to the state engineer and file a notice that we're looking at this or an application, and then they publish it. It gets it all out there, and so that's why these people up in like New Harmony know about it because we 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 specifically intended to choose a very very public transparent process, which is what government should do, right? Uh, I mean, yes, uh, actually, what what should happen. Uh, how do you, dumb question, but I'm not a geologist or a hydrologist. How do you get the water to the surface? Is it like a straw? Are you sucking it up? You, you can't actually suck it, believe it or not, because, mm-hmm. well, physics says you can't, you can't do that. Um, you'd create a vacuum. So actually what we do is we put the propellers or the pump down in the bottom and push the water up. So you, so can't, you, not, you not only have to dig a hole to get the water, you have to get, dig a hole big enough to get the pump down there. The pump or at least the, the, the propellers down. So okay. there's, a two, there's a couple of different ways. You can put a submersible pump down there and then just run the power down to it. Or you can have a shaft that goes down there and turns the propellers down there. Wow. And, and there's pros and cons to both. Um, and we just kind of look at the well, the dynamics of the well, what works best. And so sometimes we have submersible pumps and sometimes we have the shafts that just turns the propellers down there, the bowls. <laughs> I, I, I just picture a guy, you know, standing at the top and the, and the thing's going, oh, there's Kaylee, you're amazing. <laughs> uh, she brought me pineapple Dr. Pepper. That's, 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 that was my request. That's so, pretty nice of her. Yeah. And we'll have to bust it open later. Uh, but um, I, I picture the, the engineer, whoever's doing this, standing at the top and waiting. And, and like, like, how long would it take then? You've got that, the propellers going and the water coming up the shaft. And is it a matter of, I mean, we're talking about half a mile. So it, I guess it would take a few minutes. Oh, yeah. I mean, whenever we flip on a well, it, I mean, and it depends a little bit on the well, but you flip the well on and, you know, the motor starts getting and it. And wow. it takes a little while to lift that water. Does yeah. he celebrate when it finally comes to the top? Yeah, we did it. <laughs> well, it's, this is kind of funny, though, but as you drill a well, you'll get into different uh, zones. Mm-hmm. And when you get into a new zone, the water does different things. And so uh, all of a sudden you'll hit a zone, and the, and the water in the well itself will all of a sudden sometimes jump up. Mm-hmm. And that's when we celebrate. So it, what's, no, no water necessarily is coming out to the top, but we see what the water is doing. It's and going faster. Well, all of a sudden we see it pop up, so we know that it was under some hot, some the pressure down there. And if it jumped up, we know there's quite a bit of water. So it's kind of one of those things you're looking at gauges, hmm. or sometimes we drop a little sensor in, down the well, and all of a sudden we'll notice that the water took a big jump. And then we're like, "Hey, we've we've hit something really good here." That's pretty fascinating, Zach. I don't I don't think people think about stuff like that, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's part of my job. <laughs> Uh, I guess I, and maybe you don't know this, but I oil wells, I guess are a similar type process with getting the oil to the surface. So I don't, you know, I, I, I just know very little about oil wells, but I know with them, they generally have a cable that goes down. Hmm. And so the cable goes way down. And so that's why they have the, the kind of a different looking thing with the little. Right, right. I, I, see, I don't even know the technical term of the thing bopping up and down. Yeah, the, the thing. Yeah, the thing. <laughs> but that has a cable that goes down miles into the ground or however deep they need to. And so it's actually the cable going down and there's just a little check valve there that opens up, allows the oil to come in. And then they kind of pull it 
up with that cable is what they do there. Hmm. Now, if they have other types of pumps, I, I just don't know. I've, I didn't do anything in the oil and gas pump area. I just. That's fascinating. I mean, to me, it's like, wow, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, we're talking with Zach about water today. Uh, one of the things that's been really cool to see is, you know, we, we talk about the Dixie spirit and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but it really feels like we've got a little Dixie spirit thing going on with people willing to uh, try to help save water, try, try to help conserve water. And you've seen it with some of the cities here in the area. Yeah. So, you know, last year, especially people really responded. Um, so we, last year, like I said, was a really tough year and, and we saw people just going out and educating people and letting people know uh, the water situation. Our, our local citizens really responded. Um, but we're also seeing a lot of people start converting, uh, their landscaping to more water wise. Um, you know, water is a very precious rest, uh, commodity or whatever you want to call it here resource and so to see people treat it that way is really neat i mean we're stewards of the water here and so we need to be good stewards of it and it's neat to see the new the home builders have really uh embraced this too and a lot of the new homes you're seeing going in they're very efficient with water and so that's really great to see um but i think you're referring to we we had what was called flip blitz and yeah yeah and so it was a statewide program to basically go out there and look at landscaping that is a high use of water and seeing how we can't convert that over. And so most of the projects were related to turf, specifically turf that we call non-functional. And that, that means the only time that grass gets walked on is when it's being mowed. And so the cities basically went out and, and looked at landscaping that they have that is, it kind of fits that definition of lawn that's only touched when it's being mowed. And they identified um, over 100,000 square feet of grass that they could remove. Wow. Um, and so we, we all went out. That was really great. A lot of the, all, lot of the cities all participated, um, identified that, and they just used their staff and they started ripping out that turf and then converting that over to a more friendly landscaping. And, and we don't want to just say rip out the turf and just leave gravel there or concrete. What it really is is converting that over so it would be more like a zeroscape because we don't want that heat island effect that can cause a lot of problems. And so right. they mainly ripped out the grass and planted like shrubs that were water efficient or sometimes even trees that were more water efficient. Did um, th- This kind of thing is great for PR, right? Everybody's looking at it and going, hey, they're doing their part. But what's the real effect, Zach, beyond the public relations side of it? How much water are we really saving when we do something like that? So just that one one event on that one day is going to save, save about 4 million gallons of water a year. Wow. So so we're talking, that's a lot of water. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's very positive to see. And, and then the big thing is people can see, well, I can have really lush green landscaping and use only a fraction of the water. And that's the other thing is that we're noticing is a lot of local citizens are calling and seeing that, saying, yeah, we don't want that just that gravel bare ugly look like they do down uh, like Lake Havasu. Um, we want that green, beautiful landscaping, and you can still have that and be good stewards with water. I asked Gil Onquist this uh, last week, uh, county commissioner, and I'll ask you uh, the same thing. I, I first, first of all, I firmly believe that climate is cyclical and mm-hmm. we're going to have plenty of water in a year, two years, five years, ten, whenever it is. Uh, so, uh, to, to that belief, I said to Gil, um, is this a knee-jerk reaction? Are we overreacting to present circumstances when things may change? Uh, who knows when? 
So, like you said, and you're you're absolutely right. It, it, the, our our climate and the availability of water goes up and down, up and down every mm-hmm. year, and stuff like that. But we have a long, long history in this county of being good stewards with our water, right. and so this we're just following basically what a lot of our ancestors did when they came here to the community. Um, they were looking at how can we use our water more efficiently and be better stewards, and we're just continuing on that legacy. And so, sure, we're going to have a couple of years. In fact, I'll guarantee we're going to have floods in this county again. Yes. And and we'll have that flood, and, and we'll deal with that flood at that time, but then there's going to be years where we're going to go into the drought. But either way, to be good stewards of the of a limited resource is a good, good practice. I have some uh, very good friends uh, that I didn't even know their names until the flood of... When was the last time we had a lot, a lot of rain? Was it 08 or... or 2009 is the last, yeah, the last time I remember it flooding and, pretty And uh, they had, uh, their house got flooded. And we got to know them because we were helping them fight the flood waters. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny, floods, floods have a bad name. I mean, we all think of the houses falling into the river, you know, from not that long ago, but... Uh, there's a lot of good things that come out of a flood. I, I, I was thinking about you. I was like, well, I, he must be in an awkward position. If, if people's <laughs> houses are getting flooded, he's like, yay, flood. Wait, no, no. I'm sorry. Sorry about your house, but yay, water. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know one so. of the, the most inspirational things I saw when I was a county commissioner was we had those, it was really weird. We had those two storms that went through uh, Damon Valley mm-hmm. and flooded uh, several homes up there. And, uh, it was it was interesting because I was actually with the sheriff's office out on patrol when they got the call, and so we go speeding up there, and I saw the homes actually getting flooded. And I walked through, and I thought, how are we going to, like, what, I, I mean, it was so devastating to see these people's homes getting flooded and destroyed. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, how, wh- how is, like, wh- how, what's, what can we do to help these people, and what's happening? The next day I go out there, and so the next day was a Sunday, and you had bucket brigades. I mean, full-on community. Like, people just came. Yeah. They had signed hundreds of people to a home. And, boy, that was inspirational to see um, how it responded. And so, yeah, I, I, don't, want, I don't want floods. I want a, a high water level. Steady not, rain. A nice steady rain. Not, not heavy rain. Steady rain. A nice steady rain. I mean, <laughs> when we have those little flash monsoon, they, we get very little water from those. But when we have those like two or three day water drizzles, that's the perfect storm. If you want to call and be on the show, 673-5890. I will grab my phone and uh, answer your text. Oh, we have a couple of texts. I'll look at those as well. Uh, but uh, let's go to the phone line. Seth has been patiently waiting. <laughs> Seth, how are you? Do you have a question for Zach? As if, uh, always, I have questions <laughs> for everybody. All right. <laughs> What's on your mind, Seth? Well, I have no fault insurance, so I don't have to worry about the hurricane or the San Andreas. I, I don't have to worry about any fault. <laughs> the fault is your own, I guess. Yeah. Right? Yes. That's because I'm faulty. Um, <laughs> I've uh, been planting my summer crops, my squashes, and all of the things I typically grow. And I've been watering um, severely for months or more. And I, I have mixed the uh, county landfill uh, uh, compost, so-called. And um, it seems I've mixed it in the soil. It's on the top. And it seems like uh, when I dig a, a hole six inches deep, 
the first half inch has got some water, and then everything below it is bone dry. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, it appears to me that when I go through the historical records, one thing is completely missing from all of the historical records is that the wind speed, the amount, the red flag warnings, the uh, heat advisories, all of these things are missing. Now, I'd like to know what uh, Zach thinks about 20, 30, 40, 50 mile an hour winds on a persistent basis that I remember this not happening, and suddenly uh, you don't go a day without the little swirly things on the uh, weather forecast indicating high winds again today. Yeah, yeah, good point. Now, it appears that the plants uh, pick up the moisture to maintain their leaves and structure and, and the like, and then the wind comes along the same day and removes it. I have never seen conditions like this ever before where I live. Yeah, great question. Thank you, Seth, for the call. Thoughts on the wind versus the soil and drying things out. Is is it a, a real effect or just a surface, or what do you think, Zach? No, there's a legitimate, uh, and we can measure it, that winds do cause the soils and plants to dry out faster. Mm-hmm. And so it's just one of those things that we know about. Um, we can measure it, and absolutely. And kind of what Seth was saying about never seeing these dry soils before, I'm hearing the same inf- the same information from ranchers that grew up ranching. They're now in their 80s are saying that they've never seen it this dry before, um, especially on the Arizona Strip. I've heard that more, too. Is it partially because of the wind, then? Uh, you know, I haven't seen a study specifically looking at, you know, has wind increased in this area? I mean... It feels like it has, but hurricane got its name because yeah, of the wind, that's and so true. we we that's know true. there's been wind here. But I, you know, that's that. I'll have to look in to see if there's any historical record on wind in the county and if it's measured because that is interesting. But we, it does have an effect on water. Yeah, good point. Well, uh, I wanted to ask you, and we'll get into this after the weather break here. Uh, you have been a politician in the past, <laughs> recovering, uh, recovering politician. Yes. Uh, the governor came out with a plan to save water. The, the politicians have to really, uh, I don't know what the word is, maybe overreact to everything to get the public to, to wake up and pay attention. You know this, having been a politician. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, has the governor gone too far? Is he, and we'll talk, uh, you don't have to answer okay. right now, but uh, he's, got, he's got a program in place of things he wants Utahns to do to, to uh, save water. Uh, we'll talk about that when we come back. More with Zach after we check in with the wind and the weather. Compelling guests, hot topics, the latest news. Always on the Andy Griffin Show. Is there a juicy part in it for me? Right here on News Radio 890. 92.5. KDXU. Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. Good morning, everybody. 936 on KDXU. I'm Andy Griffin. You know, when I started this job, it's been three years and not three months now, maybe four months. Uh, the water, uh, the general manager of the Washington County Water Conservancy District was a guy by the name of Ron Thompson. And I like Ron right away because he and I were in the same weight class. We were both 
both of, uh, he's what is he six 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 five right yeah. at about the same height as me and uh, he had a little had a little bit of a limp. I have a, a little bit of a limp because of some leg issues, and uh, we got along really well. And then he told me, uh, by the way, I'm retiring soon, and we're going to bring in a little guy. No, he, he didn't really say that, but uh, I noticed right away when he brought you in that oh, you, yeah. you were not in our weight class or height class, but uh, still good to have you here, Well, Zach. thanks. <laughs> a lot of people like to joke, those Ron had really big shoes to fill, both figuratively and literally. And yeah, I don't think you filled his shoes as far as oh, the no. literally. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he was he he is a big guy. So yeah, and Ron, it came it was small world type situation. My niece married his grandson. Oh, really? And we actually had like a wedding breakfast thing or brunch or whatever uh-huh. at the Water Conservancy District downstairs in your little uh, lunch gathering area. Okay. And then uh, and then uh, you know I was like, wait, I I just thought they rented it out. And then I, Ron was there. I'm like, well, what are you doing here? He's like, well, that's my grandson. I said, well, that's my niece. And oh. yeah, well, small world, small world type yeah. situation. So, so I still get to see Ron occasionally, probably as much or more than you do, even. You know, that's I, I, I mean, Ron's retired. We don't pay him anything, or you know, he's completely. <laughs> but he still cares about it so much that a lot of times we'll we'll see something or, or we can't figure something out, and so we'll give him a call and we're like. Oh. From an engineering standpoint, this does not make sense. What happened? And then he'll give us a story of like, oh, there was this, you know, this person that wanted it a certain way and kind of, kind of, kind of give us the history behind it. And it's been very helpful. And he's so willing to come in and help all the time. And that's really cool. He, he's always offering to come in and talk. And so I, if you want him to come in, I would bet you he'd love to come in and talk because he, he just <laughs> wants to help out the community. Well, he was a fixture on this show, I think, for many years. As uh-huh. a matter of fact, with Mike McGarry before I started, and uh, I don't did did you ever get to meet Mike McGarry when he was doing it, or did you, yes, you, oh, did you? Okay, yeah. yeah so anyway, uh, Mike uh, is uh, on a LDS mission right now. Oh, good for him! Out in Georgia, and uh, so far, nobody has called for me being fired yet. <laughs> so I'm going to keep going until they tell me I can't do it anymore. But well, some people have called for me to get fired already, so you're doing better <laughs> than I am. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's get into that a little bit. Not you getting fired, but just your Thanks. job. Um, uh, you, like I said, you are, are, we joked around a recovering politician. You have yeah. been in politics in the past. Uh, and, and I don't begrudge politicians this. If something happens, they have to act uh, almost, they have to act decisively and quickly, but also they almost have to act kind of over react a little bit because that's what the public needs to see and for instance mike lee right now our senator uh he put together this act on on getting more baby formula available and he's made a big deal of this act i think he should have uh he got it was weird uh, 100 votes in the senate they got 99 yeses and one no and so it didn't pass and so he's working on the one person that <laughs> voted no on this little formula act uh, hmm. some democrat out of washington state or something but anyway that's 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 a whole nother story uh, but, you know, I don't know that there needs to be a formula act necessarily, but I support the idea that Mike Lee went out there and he said, look, we're just doing a little tweak to the law to make it a little easier for folks to get formula because right now that's a problem. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when 
we found that Utah was having, uh, I mean, when it, when it became abundantly clear that Utah was having some water issues, our governor put together a program, and I actually have his little flyer here of things we can do to save water. And he has this big old program, and he came out and had a press uh, press conference and, and everything. And I'm just wondering, Zach, what was your kind of gut feeling and reaction in, in finding out what the governor said? Did he overreact a little is it a pr campaign what is it so that's kind of a it's an interesting question because first of all he's the governor of the whole entire state of utah and he's kind of your boss right no no he's not no you no. work for the federal government not no 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 oh, i i, I we're what's called the local district oh okay so i'd say more the legislature is my boss if anybody because okay. the legislature could act to do certain things like that and i would also consider every citizens of washington county my boss too okay um, so it, so like down, like last year, it was really bad here. We were very nervous, but this year's been a better situation. But when I look at the state as a whole, um, you know, the Great Salt Lake and the drying up the Great Salt Lake is yeah. a big deal. Yeah. And so I see some of these messages and I'll, I'll think to myself, okay, I know this is a statewide message. Like Weber County is in a really bad situation this year. It really is like if, as I, if I was up in Weber County, I'd be very, very, very nervous of what's happening up there. Okay, we're talking Ogden area, right? Yeah, sorry, Ogden area, Davis County area. It's uh, Lagoon, kind of north of Lagoon. Mm -hmm. Um, They're in a really bad situation. So I I grew up there. um, I have uncles that, well, I have one uncle that's still doing a lot of farming up there. And and so the governor's message of, hey, we're in a really bad situation for Weber County, dead on. Hmm. Um, But if you go to certain areas of the state, it's probably not as bad. Like down here, we're a little bit better. And so, you know, the governor's speaking statewide, Statewide, we are in a drought, and so I commend the, the governor for bringing it to the attention of the citizens of saying, hey, we are in a drought situation. There's areas of the state that are in a critical, really nasty drought situation, but here are things that we can do to help out the whole situation because we have a very dynamic system here in the state of Utah. So so like this year, uh, they reduced the water flows to and it's kind of complex, but basically Utah Lake got less flows. So Weber County could have all the way up to Box Elder could have more flows. Hmm. And so our water infrastructure is very, very dynamic in this state in the sense that we can literally take a drop of water from the Colorado River and get get an equivalent drop of water all the way up to Box Elder County. And so that's another thing is if Provo conserves water, we can then transfer that water up to Weber County that is in a really bad situation. And so... I think the governor is, is, is kind of doing his job and saying, hey, public, we have this issue. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's a critical issue. I mean, if the Great Salt Lake gets to a point where it is drying up, there are some, some very controversial things. But, but it is hard, talking on the political side, that there are some important things that you want people to hear about, to know about. And to get that messaging out is, is a tricky one to do. Because, you, uh, you know, you say something, some people overreact. You say some things and people will never react. And, right. and finding that balance is tricky. Yeah, and, and politicians have to do that every single day. Yeah, it's it's a tough job, and uh, one of the reasons I've never run for office <laughs> and don't plan on ever uh, running for office. Um, all right, uh, we'll continue that discussion. I do have a caller on the line. Sure. Hey, you're on with Andy and Zach. What's up? Hey, Zach. I'd like you to write down two names. Okay. One is Galileo. Galileo, okay. Important and the guy. other one is uh, a guy named, a uh, last name, Amander, M-A-U-N-D-E-R. Now, yes. Galileo was that crazy Italian yep. 
who wasn't very smart, <laughs> he told the Pope and the Catholic Church that the uh, sun did not revolve around the earth, <laughs> but the earth revolved around the sun, and so they put that crazy idiot under house arrest. Yeah, they yeah. were going to string him up and draw and quarter him and all yeah. those things. But he, he came along around the 1600s, and at that same time, Europe was in a freezing situation. Mm-hmm. It's called the Little Ice Age. Yep. They, they ice skated on the Thames River in London, and the Danes attacked the, I mean, the Swedes attacked the Danes by marching across the North Sea because it was frozen. And Mandur figured that, okay, there's cycles, and so did Galileo. About every 11 years we go through a cycle, mm-hmm. but there's also a bigger cycle. And Mandur figured this out. About every 400 years we have, uh, the sun has less activity, and it's called a Mandur minimum, mm-hmm. named after him. So there was a minimum around 1600, and now we're starting into another minimum because it's a 400-year cycle. And it's going to get colder, and it's going to get drier, because when it's colder and the sun is less active, it evaporates less water off the oceans. So there's less clouds, water coming in over the land. Hmm. So it's going to get drier, and it's going to get colder, and the Democrats are going to take the credit. (laughs) Whatever policies they have, they say, look, we stopped we stopped the ice caps from melting, and we saved the world. Yeah. yeah. So that's what's going on, in my opinion. You can check those names out and do a little research. Mandur is mentioned in almost every physics book that I've looked at. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't seem like anyone knows it. And when they do these weather things and forecast the climate, they never give the sun enough credit. The sun is a major factor in our wet weather, and they don't seem to give it enough credit. Yeah, thanks for the thanks for the call. That's very yeah. informative. Very cool so, so stuff. Look, look into those two names and see if you agree with me that it's going to get colder and drier. We will. All right. Thank you. For, and the Mandar minimums last fifty to a hundred years. So get oh. your coats. Buy your coats. <laughs> get ready. Well, it's a good thing we live in St. George then. I was going to say I can't imagine imagine it getting too cold here. Yeah. I don't think we're going to be ice skating on the Virgin River. Santa Clara or anything. Hey, you never know. But yeah, I I agree with the caller. There's there's no doubt that our our climate goes and has patterns. And so here in the, the Southwest United States, we go off what's called the paleoclimate record, where we look at the tree rings. Mm-hmm. And so we have looking at those tree rings, we're able to look at what's happened here in the Southwest for almost a thousand years. And the caller's correct. We we definitely see those cycles up and down. My uh, my dad was a meteorologist, but one of his good friends, and they worked together at Channel 4 doing weather, was a climatologist, mm. which is the study. Meteorologist studies basically the current weather. Climatologist studies the patterns and trends and predicts the future weather based on the past. And uh, it was, uh, I think, uh, I don't know about my dad, but I know I learned a lot uh, when, when uh, Clayton Bruff was his name. Uh, started talking about climatology in the past and stuff and uh, that's kind of why i believe we're going to have a wet period at some point here not too far away so all right let's go back to the phone lines uh hey thanks for calling today you're on with andy and with zach how are you you there yeah let me get my radio muted i got in just right at the end of last week when you were talking to the the water guy but i was asking about the Glen Canyon Dam, the water flow that they changed back in Clinton's era, Bruce Babbitt was the interior secretary, I think, and they changed the flow to a constant rate coming out to keep the beaches and 
the river the same. Okay. It had to be, you know, they didn't want the sand washing away or whatever. That was 20 years ago, about mid-90s, I guess. Now, I used to fish down there, and when the water, when California was waking up, the water would rise up probably a foot and a half, two feet, and you had to, you know, pay attention to it if you got out on a little sandbar or something out that got deeper where you came from. But that's a lot of water that's coming out of there constant now where... You know, they they fluctuated it for the electricity they needed. Yeah. And I'm assuming they're doing the same thing at Boulder Dam and all the rest of them to save the beaches on the river. But how much water have they just, do they let run out of there? I agree. Because they have to produce the energy at the high rate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't, does Great. anybody know anything about that? Great question. I'll let you guys discuss it. Okay. Yeah, Zach, what do you think? Yeah, so, yeah, during that time, they would open those, basically open the valves to accommodate the electricity, and then Mm -hmm. the environmental issues came out, and they said, okay, no more of that. You have to have the steady flow. They also did these things where they just open up kind of the big vents and just allow all that water flow and do a surge through the canyon Hmm. um, to help with the fish and the, the beaches and stuff like that. All that water, even when they're doing the surge, they're measuring every single drop of water that goes really? out. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and it's very closely watched by all the states exactly how much water is going through. And the Bureau of Reclamation that runs the, the, the dam itself, they, they basically let all the states know way in, way in advance of how much water they're going to release, how they're going to release it. And so we, we do measure it. Um, now, we have an obligation, well, I say we, the upper basin states, Utah, as, as an upper basin state, there's a requirement that the lower basin states get so much water on a 10-year rolling average. And that, so when they do release more water, it's counted against that overall average that's supposed to be delivered to the lower basin states. With that said, we've given the lower basin state a lot more water than they've been entitled to in the past. Um, now that the hydraulics of the river uh, in a drought scenario is less, there's a lot of discussions about how to tweak that. Hmm. And that, I could spend like four hours going off on that subject. <laughs> yeah, but you and I would be the only ones listening by the end. I, I am, yeah. <laughs> and Carrie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, I've got a text question for you, and uh, we'll discuss a little bit more about what the governor has in mind. Uh, but i got to get this commercial break in, sure. so we'll take a quick break. Zach Renstrom on with me on The Andy Griffin Show, my his monthly visit. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Lively discussion on HOAs. During the commercial. Yep. Uh, Zach and Andy, we lost to Carrie. I don't record. know if we lost. I think we lost. Okay. We lost, Zach. Okay. <laughs> Maybe not in our minds, but uh, in reality, yeah. We, okay. Yeah, I'll give had, you that. We had no chance. Uh, the question, though, uh, the text I got uh, was about HOAs. Many HOAs won't permit removing lawns and replacing them with artificial lawns or Xeriscape. Might there be a special leg- legislative session this year to deal with these situations? So there was a bill passed last year that says that a newly formed HOA cannot require turf to be installed. Um, now, they can require a nice landscaping that's well-maintained, but if somebody wants to put in a zero-scape landscaping in a new HOA, they're allowed to now. It's Utah state law. Hmm. 
kind of her question though is going back. Yeah. And so how the law looks at HOAs is is a contractual relationship between adjoining property owners essentially. And there's a doctrine in a legal doctrine that says if if two private citizens have a contractual relationship, the government can't necessarily go in and interfere with that existing contract. And so it, it's an interesting question she's asking mm. because I think it'll go through the court system of how the courts will do this or how the courts will handle it. I'm not quite sure. There, I could see it going either way, um, but it is still kind of a pending legal question whether the an H, existing HOA that has that requirement can still enforce that. Now, a lot, what we see is two things happening is a lot of HOAs are just allowing people to make the conversion. Um, even though they may like, they'll change their CCNRs or other things like that. And so mm-hmm. that's, and, and I've had the opportunity to talk to several homeowner associations about it, about, Hey, you can still have a really beautiful landscaping, um, without as much grass. And so, yeah. but if it's existing, it's still questionable legally. What, what will happen there? Grandfathered in, I guess is what they like to call it. Yeah, and, that's, and that's tough because if you want to do your part, say, hey, I'd like to take my grass out and, and conserve water. I'll put some nice shrubs or, or whatever in. I'll still have it be cool and nice. And the HOA says, oh, no. Yep. You're going to have that grass. Yep. Uh, then you're you're stuck. You're like, well, I've been in this subdivision for 12 years. Now what do I do? And, and you have so, a, you've signed a contract saying you would have that much grass. When you bought that house, that contract was in place, yeah. the privity of the contract. So, but, but the courts sometimes do come out and say, listen, we, there is, there's a reason for a government to interfere with a private contract, hmm. um, for other reasons. And, and I, like I said, uh, on that one, I don't know how the courts will do it. It'll, it'll be an interesting thing. And, uh, I, I'm sure it's just a matter of time that it'll go through. Um, real quick, I wanted to ask you, a government's talking about, uh, removing grass for turf and they're actually talking, they haven't done it yet, but they're talking about uh, providing a financial incentive for doing that. Any thoughts on that? So the legislature allocated $5 million to hmm. get the grass removal turf program up and going. So that money doesn't become available till July 1st. Um, and it is a statewide program. And so we, at the district, because we have a lot of people wanting to do that, but it is expensive. Yes, it and is. And so hmm. I am lobbying the the state to give me a good chunk of that money so I can help the local citizens out here to want to that want to do that I we can give them an incentive and so we're kind of waiting to see what the the state does with that money and how much we get down here and so right now when people call us up I'm saying well there, today there's nothing but I'm really hopeful that we'll be able to offer some financial and and it's important to re- know that this is not going to be just rip out the turf this is a landscape conversion so if you rip out turf you just can't put concrete or, some, or something like that. You're going to have to rip out the turf and replace it with, like, trees and shrubs that are desert-friendly. What about artificial turf? Uh, is, does that, will that count, too? See, that, that's a pending question mark hmm. because some people say, yeah, it is, and others say, no, it's not because you don't necessarily have the cooling effect that you would have from, let's say, a, a tree. And that's so, true. That's true. So that is a little bit of an and, open debate. And you know what people tell you that have artificial turf? And we, and, and we got some. We have like a little 10 by 15 yeah. stretch. Uh, they say, well, if you want to cool it down, just put some water on it. Uh-oh, wait a minute. Wasn't that the problem in the first yeah. place was using water? So uh, darn it, Zach, we've used up our time. Uh, always a pleasure having you on the program. It's great to be here. Always well-spoken, and uh, you, you do a great job. And, well, thanks. Uh, we're okay here in southern Utah for now. For now. For now. All right. Thanks, Zach. Uh, coming up tomorrow, we've got the mayor of Ivan City. Chris Hart is going to join me on the air here on the Andy Griffin Show. Thanks for listening. <laughs>